Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Down the block, Andrew Jones. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. It's got the ball. Jones Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Yesterday morning, we had part one of our interview with Lee Addison, one of the best junior coaches in the country. And today we've got part two where we dive into his brief stint at the Penrith Panthers. Uh, some really interesting stories come out of there. He spent a lot of time with Petra Sevenaceva, Matt Elliott. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stories in there about Phil, Phil Gould too, actually, which are really interesting. Obviously, Phil Gould, he's not one to fuck spiders. So he was, he was the reason why Lee was forced to leave the Penrith Panthers. And the story behind that's really interesting. Lee then dives into um, his career as a schoolboys coach. He's worked in some fantastic systems and then he did a bit of international coaching which I found really intriguing um I'll let Lee tell that story but it just like nothing I'd ever heard before to be honest with you and as I said yesterday there's about a 25 minute uh, probably about a 15 minute chat during this uh podcast where we go completely off topic and we just we just got lost where we were and it's like we we're sitting in a pub talking about footy and we go on a really in-depth chat talking about Jonathan Thurston, Andrew Johns and Cooper Cronk. You all know that I'm a huge fan of Cooper Cronk and Lee is as well. So it was a really interesting conversation about halves and there's some great points that Lee makes. As I've said, I've always the reason why I had this podcast was to to surround myself with people that have got more football experience with me and to get involved and have conversations with guys that have a smarter footy brain than me. And Lee is definitely one of those. If you are interested in uh, getting to know Lee or you want to get involved in some of his coaching programs, as I said yesterday, if you're a young bloke or a young female looking to make it in rugby league and you want an edge, this is where you need to be. On Instagram, rugby league coach, at rugby league coach. If you want to jump on his website, www.rugbyleaguecoach.com. .com.au. I highly advise getting around Lee's gear. He seriously knows what he's doing and he can help you in your rugby league journey. Let's kick it off.
Yeah, mate, I'm thinking back 2011. I'm trying to line up my timeline here, 2010, 2011. I mean, I assume this is, you know, pre when Bryce Cartwright was coming through. Is this sort of Wade Graham sort of era of coming through the juniors at Penrith? Wade Graham was already in and around the first grade then. So um, so what, what what sort of kids were coming through at that stage then? So in my 16s, Dallin Martin Zalesniak, Robert okay. Jennings, Matty Lodge, um, Oliver Clark, uh, Tia Califi, who played a bit of lower grade, Morgan Gaia Marks, one of Mark's son, sons. And that was about it from my team that went on to better things, I think. Um, there's been so many over the years, but yeah, it's that kind of era. Um, so Latine Zalesniak would have been my fullback in that side. How was he as a young fella? Prop, told the trainer off for swearing. Really? So around football, you know, at a certain age, it sounds you know, it's a, there's some industrial language in the vicinity, and one of the trainers was revving them up, saying, you know, effing this, effing that could see Dallin's face just sort of dealing with it and then on the break he said excuse me sir do you mind not using those swear words and the trainer I had to pick him up off the floor he couldn't believe it when you're being told off by a 15 16 year old <laughs> he's quiet but he was so well respected there was a couple of times Dallin was a bit late picking him up or whatever from training he'd just have a bible or something he'd be reading the bible it's a great kid <laughs> You must think all they do is coach, love the kids. But, yeah, he was just a lovely kid. Lovely kid. Lovely kid. Now, mate. And brave. Um, brave. Oh, well, mate, I, I think yeah. he's got one of the most underrated kick returns in the game, to be honest with you. Oh, because he just he'd run into a brick wall. Yeah. He's a very good kick returner. You mentioned how much of a good kid he is. Uh, another guy that you mentioned there who's been quite a polarizing character, obviously, Matty Lodge. Tell me about him as a young bloke. Oh, he was a handful, Matthew. Um because I also worked at his school a bit. So around about this time, I started getting into the schoolboy rugby league team. Um, just a handful of a kid, you know, not in a, but you always knew he had a good, nice big heart. You always knew that. One thing about teaching is you, you don't look at the behavior. You look at the heart. If the kid's got a good heart, you just realize it's testosterone and all that kind of thing. And he was just a kid with, um, he had his tyres pumped up. He was a good kid, football-wise, and handled it that great as a kid, you know. And I don't think the club handled, handled him very well either. I don't want to go too far down that avenue, mate, because I'm, I'm a supporter of Matt Lodge overall because mm. um, I like the kid, right? Um, coached with him. I coached against him at schoolboy level. Again, we've always had a great relationship. Um I clashed with him as a coach because I'm one of those coaches who has my boundaries. Lodgy would push them, but being a teacher, as you know, <laughs> some of those kids are the kids that you get on best with for the rest of your life kind of thing, you know. Um, and he has done so much now, mate, to mend his ways. He's got a family. He's done some terrible things, mate. I, I don't want to labour on that. But I'm telling you now, and I want to tell the rugby league community that my, my evidence is that he's turned his life around in a massive way and not one of those who's just taking a rugby league earning and laughing at the rest of the world he's literally from what I can gather knuckling down really really well I'm quite close with a couple of people at the Broncos and the and the feedback is how hard he works and I, I had a coffee with him not so long ago he's yeah he's, he's, he's going in the right direction mate 
And that's, I suppose, as a, as a teacher and a coach of young people, that's what you want. There's been enough characters in our game, mate. Matthew Lodge will not be the worst that, that we ever have to talk about. I found it really interesting, mate. I had uh, I had Peter O'Sullivan on my podcast earlier this year, and of course Matt Lodge is uh, married <laughs> to his daughter. And I sort of I sort of thought, geez, I wonder how this is going to go down. But mate, Peter O'Sullivan, who obviously you know one of the best eyes in the game, he's been around plenty of footballers, plenty of blokes as well. Yeah, mate, he he said the same thing. He's got nothing but respect for him. Like he obviously has done a lot in rugby league circles, just, you know, as a person, obviously to turn himself back around. I mean, the media obviously hasn't helped his cause, but he seems to be doing the best he can. And he's, you're talking a few years now since the New York incident. You're not talking six months. Yep. You're talking a few years now. So you got to remember, I know so many people that know Matthew as well. I know groups of friends and yeah, I, <laughs> Put it this way: if, if there's a real bad egg, real bad egg in your life, you tend to want to keep your distance from them, don't you? Yeah. You don't want you don't want to keep your distance from Matthew Lodge. I would have Matthew Lodge in my school talking to my kids. Put it that way. All right, mate. Let, let's move off Matty Lodge. Let's 2010 at the Panthers. Obviously, uh, you've got the Matt side there, but it's a really interesting year for the first grade squad. I mean, in the NRL that year, it's Dragons. Daylight than everyone else, probably. They were such a strong team. But the Penrith Panthers, they finished second that year. I believe it's when Petro yeah, Seven Receiver comes on board. What are your memories of yeah. Petro when he first arrived? What sort of effect did he have on the club? <laughs> Just like the dad of the team, like bumped into Petro, bumped into Petro a couple of times since the Penrith days. And I feel like a stuck record here, but he's just such an awesome guy. He's got time for everyone with the club, and he's a real unifier of a person. And he brought professional standards of a BK-type character, not in the sense that he would hammer everyone, but if Petro opens his mouth or does something, you watch or you listen, don't you? Mm, like, yeah. I remember sitting in a team meeting and Petro was there, and because um, Matty Elliott used to let me coach with the first grade in my school holidays, and constantly be stretching with a band and all that kind of thing. He was never he was never just sat there waiting for the meeting to end. He was listening to everything, always stretching, always looking after his body. Um I when I think back to Petrol's career, he's another one who I think got better as his career went on. And that's always indicative of, of a player who works hard on his game. Because you've got to remember, right? If I play you at any sport, it could be anything, it could be tennis, it could be snooker it could be whatever I look for my weaknesses exploit them mm. in the NRL happens but on steroids so if you've got a weak shoulder as a defender you can bet your bottom dollar that the opposition person who's going to be running at you most of the time that day will be running mostly at your weak shoulder right a kicker and you and you're weak off a certain foot you can bet your bottom dollar that the opposition coach will have prepped his team to try and make you kick off your bad foot as much as possible. So the margins for error become less and less in the NRL. So if a player improves over that time, you know it is indicative of a high work ethic and attention to detail in their game. And I think Petro, some of my earliest memories of Petro, Petro were just a brave person who ran the football in and looked a bit raw at times when he first came on the scene. 
he ended up being talked about in the same breath as Shane Webkey and Glenn Lazarus and those kind of players. A better footballer all around. And he listened. I always remember he listened to everything. He, he took everything in. Mm. He had every right as a 30-odd-year-old or whatever he was at Penrith in the final couple of years of his career. Nobody would sort of turn too much of a blind eye if he... Everyone would turn a blind eye a little bit if he took a little bit of way with things but he wasn't he was leading the charge mate he was leading the charge Feely wanted to win another premiership at Penrith and he brought a lot of the Brisbane team with him he brought a lot of the the ethics because don't forget Wayne Bennett was a benchmark coach then as well this to an extent but people wanted to know what the Broncos secret was because it was only a few years from the Broncos winning that old six premiership as well that he was integral in and the Broncos were always in the top four or thereabouts, weren't they? Mm. So, so people wanted to copy the Broncos a bit, a bit like when, a bit like when players get a player from Melbourne Storm. Now they want to know what the, the Melbourne Storm do all the time, you know. So, mate, I'm just having a look at this 2010 um, squad list for the Penrith Panthers, and geez, like, there's a lot of young blokes in this side that went on to win premierships elsewhere, like Gavin Cooper, Lachlan Coote. Yeah. You got Mick Gordon, yeah. there, Wade Graham. Uh, Michael yeah. Jennings was still there. Like, really, yeah. you, you sort of forget how young this squad was because so many of yeah. them went on. I mean, so many of them are still playing now. It's incredible. Well, I think as well, and I think many people who go to Penrith do this, they try and build a squad through their juniors, don't they? Yeah. And if there's one, if there's one thing that cost Penrith this year, this year, I think, it's having that little lack of experience around the joint. Stop your Nathan Clearies from doing silly TikToks or to calm heads when you're in a certain situation in a game or when you're 15 or 16 wins on the bounce. And you're probably looking that you're probably talking about the 2010 version of that, Nathan. Yeah. Because you looked around, there was a young kid knocking around called Harry Saker, too, who had a lot to do with many years later. Um, just had so much talent there, so much talent. And but there was a lot of young talent there too, and don't forget that's where Pen- Petro came in. He was the older one who balanced it. But my experience of studying top squads over times is that you probably need a third of everything. You need a third of those young, talented young kids. Say a squad of twenty-four, you need about eight quality young kids. You need eight experienced heads, but you need eight in the peak. Ideally, you'd expand that peak. You'd have about 10 or 12 in their peak and then an equal number at the old end and the young end, right? Penrith, if I'm going to be critical, have probably tried to build too many premiership sides based on the end all the time. They won the premiership in 03, but if you look at that side, it also had a couple of old heads in there too and a coach who was an old head as well. Um, I think, you know, if if... If, if that Penrith team this year still had Jimmy Maloney in it, story, what would you? Different, well, very close to a different story. Yeah. Or if you throw a if you throw a Cooper Cronk in there, see people people talk about your Thurston's, your Slaters, and all that. Cooper Cronk. I've been asked for years who would be the one NRL player I'd sign it be Cooper Cronk. Serial winner, mate. Serial winner. Yeah. You look at when Queensland lost get lost games over that dominant period. I bet my. I bet my bottom dollar Cooper Cronk was missing or underperforming in those particular games because he's just such such important person. 
Mate, this is a push that I've had on my page and my podcast for a while. I've said for a long time he should be an immortal for me. I mean, at the end of the day, rugby league, it's about winning. And I'm sorry, does anyone win more than Cooper Cron? Probably not. And I think the the game that really typifies it is when he had no shoulder. Yeah. Just coach the team to win the grand final, you know? Um, you know, he's just a serial winner. You get Cooper Cron, you win premierships and a real student of the game, a manufactured half, remember, from these parts, not from far away from up here, um, and a, a, a very big indictment of the Melbourne Storm system because they coached him to be a halfback and, and Cameron Smith to be a hooker. Mate, I, I, I think that nothing says more about Cooper Cronk than he was in the best system in the game at Melbourne. They win a comp in... 2017, he leaves that system. The system he goes to wins two comps in a row. As soon as he retires, then the Melbourne Storm come back and win a premiership. I mean, (laughs) I I don't understand how people can argue. I've said for a long time, and I'm interested in your opinion, personally, I think there's been better players that have played halfback, but I think Cooper Cronk's the best halfback I've seen. The term that has come into the game in the last sort of five years is game manager. Yep. People, the term game management, right? We used to call it organising, but now they call it game management. Cooper Cronk is the best game manager the game has seen. Listen to Alfie Langer kind of thing. Like, So therefore, you're going to put him in immortal-type categories. I, I have no doubt about that. I've been a massive Cooper Cronk fan. Thurston, great player. Um, but you've also got to look at outcomes, Nathan. You've got to look at premierships and all that kind of thing. And, um, is there anything that Cooper Cronk hasn't won in rugby league? Exactly, mate. Yeah, I, I, you're preaching to the choir here, mate. I, he's an immortal for me every day of the week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's not to take away from Thurston, Slater, Smith. Bronk is really important. Um, and again, such such is the detail I go into when I look at the game. Sometimes I'll look. I used to look at Cronk when he was playing and have a look. Sometimes when the camera was on field level. Yep. And Cooper Cronk could be Cooper Cronk could be the one calming the players down if something went bad, or he would literally be doing this all the time with his hands um, <coughs> to suggest calm down, calm down. Um, he'd be contr- he controlled the whole thing. He was the heartbeat of Melbourne Storm, Queensland, and Sydney Roosters. No two ways about it. And mate, I, I mentioned earlier, obviously the club he was at, they won two premierships in a row. But as you said, that 2018 Grand Final, I mean. For them to have as good team as they did and still decide we need a Cooper Cronk with one shoulder on the field, it says more yeah. than anything. I mean, pe- people want to tell me, oh, he was a passenger in that grand final. Fucking please, he was steering the ship. When, you know, I remember once somebody sent me some feedback after a grand final we won, won as a coach, and a bit of critique in there. Maybe, you know, some people say you shouldn't do this, Lee. You should always, you know, take criticism, whatever. Just replied, his mate, but we won. We like to think it is about winning and losing ultimately, you know? And Kronk was a serial winner. Even if he was a passenger, won. Again, it wasn't a sneak home with a drop goal win. It was a big win. It was a comfortable-ish win. Like, it was... It was a well-manufactured win. So, 
who cares? <laughs> I, I always say, mate, people tell me Thurston was better, and I say, oh, you know, and they tell me, oh, Thurston in the clutch in the last five minutes, he's the guy you want. I go, oh, that, that's fine, but that's because Cooper Cronk will beat them in the first 75 minutes. He'll strangle them out of him. He, he, he didn't need to do it in the last five. Very different players. One of my one of my big memories of Thurston was how much he threw himself into defence. Mm. Him and Joey. Neither of them shirked it from defence, mate. Um, and Thurston was an ultimate competitor. Like, he would chase dunk kicks. He'd be the first one. He'd be scramble defence, all that kind of thing. So, you know, I don't want to take away from Thurston at all. Um, what I want to do is, is pump cr- Cronk up. Oh, yeah. like that, that's what, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like we, we talk about guys I, revolutionising I, the game, and I mean, what Cooper Cronk did, I mean, he should have revolutionised the game, but simply no one is able to replicate what Cooper Cronk was able to do. I mean, I, I'm sure you'll agree watching junior footy. I mean, you just don't get those sort of sevens coming through anymore. I don't know if it's the way the game's... I, I, I don't know why, but I feel like we're never going to see another seven like Cooper Cronk again, in my opinion. Well, one of the things with Cooper Cronkey was actually manufactured by the Melbourne Storm. So I yeah. think that was his halfback education. In terms of in terms of somebody like Joey Johns, right? He would have probably started out, and people don't talk about this. In the early nineties, the games the game went from going back five meters to ten meters. We brush over that in rugby league as if it never happened. What 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 can beat that? What we're gonna do? Change the shape of the ball? Are we gonna you know, imagine a cricket field. Imagine a cricket pitch doubling the length of their wicket. Yeah. Would that not change how how Aussie pace attack ball? So now, like Joey, who grew up with a little bit of five meters, all of a sudden it doubled to ten. Yeah. What happens with ten meters, mate, is that you don't have to be a genius to unlock that defense. You've got ten meters to play with. For example, the South Sydney team that won the comp in, was it 2015? 14, yep. 14. Isaac Luke at Hooker just needed to get off the back of those rampaging forwards, the 55 Burgess brothers and whoever else was in the pack, right? Yep. A good half now can just watch the rook going backwards. He can watch the goal forward, rook recognition, and then move the ball a bit further wide when he needs to. 20, 30 years ago, Halves had to unlock the defences because they were on top of them in no time. They were five metres away. And that's why halves are different all the time. When people are lamenting the loss of halves, don't understand the cause and effect, the evolution of the game. We've actually created more distance between the two teams, right? Therefore, we've got a junior situation where coaches are actually recruiting bigger teams so they can blast through opposition. So the halves that get pushed through and then just people who just farm the ball a bit wider when they need to mm. because they're behind a huge pack that's dominating at junior, right? So we're a, we're a victim of our own circumstance. <clears throat> the game has fundamentally changed over that time. I dare say Thurston might have caught a little bit of the five metres as well or he studied Johns that much that he tried to copy parts of his game. I actually think as well Joey Johns was very good. He just got the immortal status a little bit too early for my money, but he was brilliant. Like he was, some of the things he produced off his foot and out of his hands were, he was a game manager too. 
Like he was the he was the ultimate game manager. I know his brother quite well, Matthew, and he used to tell me all little anecdotes about how Andrew wouldn't pick things up and he'd talk three sets ahead or plays ahead in a game in the middle of a game and just say, Right, we need to do this, we need to do this and da 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 Yeah. Um Let so, me ask you this, as a coach then, if you're picking your best team ever, who do you want wearing the seven in your side? Cooper Crunk. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I thought you'd say that. I'm glad to hear it. Super. Cooper Cronk, for the simple reason, is you've got to have a yin and a yang, in my opinion. So as you know, fullback in my best ever team I've coached, I've named already as James Tedesco, right? And in that post, I said that I had a half just give James the ball whenever he wanted it. If I'd have picked a half, wanted to produce things on his own and star of the show as well, he would have had is a clash of, of two stars. I knew that James Tedesco was a star that was going to shine brighter than anyone else. And I remember having a problem my way at St. Gregory's when I was there because I didn't pick a certain halfback who was contracted to the West Tigers. And the recruitment manager there at the time, I won't name him, but everyone knows who he is, he fell out forever after that. Like, wanted me to pick that half. I didn't at the time for a few reasons. He was a bit too young and all that kind of thing. But also, I felt that he didn't fit with James Tedesco. I think the reason you said which half would you pick, I'd pick Cooper Cronk, because what Cooper Cronk does as a player is make others look good. Mm. So he, he'd be the fulcrum. Cooper Cronk would be the fulcrum. He'd guide the team around the park. If you're a coach, all you need to do is tell Cooper Cronk how you want the game to go, and he'll do it for you. You coach on the field. To that end, I'd probably go Cooper Cronk, and slightly behind him, I'd go Andrew Johns. Um... I'm a massive Cooper Cronk fan. I'm just a massive Cooper Cronk fan. Can't speak highly enough of him. Makes two of us. Mate, let's get back to your Penrith days. And 2010, you guys finished second. You go out in straight sets. 2011, I mean, I, I just had a look at the score sheet from that season. And, um, I mean, you win about eight out of ten games in the middle, but the start and the finish is just an absolute train wreck that season. Um, must have been tough, you know, a tough reality check after t- 2010. Penrith was a funny club, I mean, uh, I've got real fond memories of Manly Seagulls. Not got super fond memories of Penrith. Because there was a tension around there all the time. So it, there was a, we are Penrith, we have to win kind of attitude. Matthew Elliott always seemed to be on the verge of the sack for some reason. Like, even when they went well, it was like, he, there was just that sense that wasn't the organisation for him. Like, it was just strange. And... You always just felt that an outsider there. The, the nature of it, and I think back, it was always doomed to failure. So if you think back about what I said about Manly, I talked about it being a culmination. I talked about it being a, a nice club environment. I talked about there being huge, humble people around there. Again, great humble people at Penrith. I can't. Some of the players at Penrith have actually ended up being great mates, right? But 
some elements of the club just weren't didn't seem to be pulling in the same direction. And a, a few rounds into 2011, you remember Gus Gould arrived at the club, changed everything. That's all of us. Your coach got sacked. One fella, Alex Melville, got sacked and then got reinstated a bit later. But otherwise, Gus did a clean out. And Matthew Elliott was the first to go. And Steve George Arliss took over as caretaker. So, you know, to sack a coach that finished second the year before, you know, it's indicative that everything wasn't right there. I remember, I'll tell you so many things, right? I'll tell you so many things. Um, didn't seem to be functioning in the, in the same way that Manly was, to be honest with you. Um, many people pulling in different directions, but so many great friends from there too. That's the other thing. So, Can I ask you, mate, when Phil Gould was appointed, did you know straight away that you were in trouble or what? I wasn't confident, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny how things go because a few weeks before I got tipped off, I was going to be the 20s coach. So I was going to go from Harold Matthews to 20s coach. And then two weeks later, I got a phone call from an offsider of Phil Gould. Phil Gould didn't make the call. But an offsider call, called me and said, sorry, Lee, you've lost your job. Um, yeah, I, I've never met Gus Gould to this day. had a chance to state my case or anything. They made some kind of statement that they wanted development coaches in there. So if anybody had a better development CV than me at the time. The other thing, too, my team had finished highest at the club the year before. Yeah, 2011 it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, my team, my team had finished the highest out of everyone. So who are the guys that Gus brought in? Like, obviously, you know, he, he he's not coming from you know being a head coach of another club, coming into your system. So, where did the guys come from that he brought over? I can't remember to be honest because I I sort of switched off a little bit. I know I know one old coach got reinstated to the 16s, I think, or the 18s, a local coach. Um, Gaff Brennan came into the Penrith system at that time, I think. As for the others, I can't really remember. I've got nothing against them. They did nothing wrong to me. Um, the, Penrith has some really interesting machinations in and around it, and Gus would have ironed a lot of them out. The Penrith Junior District was very powerful back then. So they had a massive say in how the club went. Um, so Penrith... And other areas, their junior district tends to finish at 18. So the Harold Matthews and the SG Ball sides are actually representative teams of the junior district, yet they wear the NRL colours, they play at the NRL ground, and the NRL club sign players to play there. So though it's a partnership, the junior leagues tend to have quite a big say in that kind of thing. So it's quite political. And I think Penrith was the ultimate political... Um, melting pot back then. All right, it's the end of 2011. You've been shown the door here. Where do you go to next? Well, don't forget, that's all part-time in the evenings. So 2010, I was the head coach of St. Gregory's in Campbelltown, the school. And that's where I met James Tedesco. And we won back-to-back premierships at St. Greg's. The, <clears throat> the, the, the school had been through some lean years and they were desperate for some success again and we produced success re- really quickly. And I I was lucky in that, I think, a week after I got sacked from Penrith, I had my grand final for St. Gregory's anyway. So I didn't have much time to dwell on it or whatever. It wasn't the end of the world for me. I've sort of 
bit of a bigger minded person than that. Um, I knew there was other things than coaching at Penrith. I, it didn't worry me. I was a, the biggest brand name when it comes to schoolboy rugby league. And we're just about to win our second premiership in succession. So, um, pretty happy mate to be honest like it wasn't it wasn't the I didn't go home and cry into my beer like you probably thought it actually did me a favour in so many ways by doing that the yeah it, when you look back at your own life decisions at the time that you felt were the worst thing ever end up being the best thing when you look back at them two years three years later and that's exactly where I stand when it comes to Penrith I have no sour grapes at all if if Penrith offered me the Harold Matthews job tomorrow or the SGU ball job or the under-20s, I'm sorry, I wouldn't be taking it. So <laughs> it's um, that that just shows you where 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 that ranks in terms of, of upset. So you're at St. Greg's, mate. How, how much time do you spend there? Virtually my whole life at the time. So for the first year, I was at boarding and second year, I was teaching. Through. I spent three years there. And St. Gregory's is the kind of place where because it's a boarding school, because it's on the top of a hill, once you're there, you're sort of stuck there. If you want to walk for a pint of milk, you have to walk for about five hours and walk back up a big hill. So um, very much a community feel. So three years at St. Greg's, I got a phone call out of the blue to run an academy up north in Queensland. Was that mine? A place called Ipswich State High School. Um, it was all because of the deputy, Mike Hornby, who painted the picture of what he wanted to do there and what his dreams were for the programme and told me what I could do, what he'd allow me to do. And I came to meet him and I just, you know, I, once again, I, I'm confident in what I do, Nathan. Like, I, I back myself. I back myself to get a blank canvas and turn it into something good to look at, you know? Like, I just back myself to do it. And um, the academy, I can't say from scratch because it did exist, but it was more of a behaviour management tool at the school. It was more of a, instead of putting these kids in another classroom, let them have a rugby league class so they can run around. But we built it from a programme that had about 120 kids to a programme that <coughs> regularly sits about the 350 mark now. Tell me, mate, when you arrived at Ipswich, you had a look at the system they had in place. What things did you see were wrong with it that you knew you had to fix? I just felt that, Things were so much more professional down in Sydney. Say professional, talking, emphasis on coaching detail, emphasis on supplementary staff for the coach, so trainers, aid officers, all that kind of thing, videoing of games, all that kind of thing. When I went to Ipswich, I basically had to Craig Bellamy starting the Melbourne Storm kind of thing, like you hold your club up, you know, like in a a proper gym. I remember getting the boss to cut some trees down so I could film training from the library balcony. Trees were in the way of the field. It's been growing for 300 years and I remember having a lump in my throat because within two days of me asking for it, I thought he'd tell me to shove off. And he came in with a big crane and just chopped all the trees down. Um, used to say to the groundsman, I used to ask for grids and, and triangles to be painted on the field so I didn't have to put cones out. I got that from Des Hasler, and he did it. So every week, the groundsman would go out and paint my training out for me. So every session, instead of us spending 10 minutes putting all the cones out, we're starting after two minutes. You know, you eight minutes, five times a week, yep. 50, 50 weeks in a year, that builds up, you know? Um, 
and you'll hear this all the time, it's about culture as well. I brought in 7am gym sessions and if the boys didn't make it, if the boys missed training, they didn't play, all that kind of thing. Um, that's a very quick rundown of what happened, but yeah, I literally put in systems and I literally also set up a scouting network so I could find out who were the best kids in Ipswich and I could get them to the school and, and all that kind of thing. So unbeaten for two years, went from the third division to the second division, won them both. We got into Super 6 with the Kibras and the Wavels and all that kind of thing. remember in 2016 coaching in a game where there was a few players that have now played Origin, David Fafita. Um, this against Kibra, is it? Yeah, Ipswich versus Kibra. Yep. So Phil Sammy played Origin for me. And in the Kibra side, there was David Fafita, Payne Haas. Yep. Also... From the Titans, he, he's played Origin now, hasn't he? Yeah, that would have that would have been the side with um with the Titans' young seven too. The little blonde fellow was it? Is his name Tana, 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 Boy, Tana Boy? That's Boy. it. Yeah. So I think I think from that one game, there was about ten NRL players, and that just shows you the standard of it. So we went, I went two years undefeated. We got to the top division, and we basically finished second every year for three years. And I'd done five years, and I just felt that um, you know I'd put so much into the job, my heart and soul. I just I'd run out of gas a little bit and, uh, yeah, I had a bit of a hiatus from the game for about two weeks. (laughs) 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 Mate, after your two-week sabbatical away from the game, where do you land next? Where are you? So I go to Mabel Park. So Mike Holmby, the deputy I talked to you about, he is now the the headmaster, the principal of Mabel Park State High School. So, So that's my job now, right? Um, but around that time, I also decided to start my online business. So um, I had an epiphany around about that time. I wanted to go online. Um, like I said to you earlier, just reverse the whole, you know, if you want me to coach your brother, unless I get appointed to be the Roosters SG ball coach, I'm not going to coach him, am I? But now, if he wants to, he can log into my website or my courses or my YouTube page. You know, that I, I basically turned that round, so... Um, that a couple of years ago and then within a matter of weeks of starting this new business and because I, I was brand I had to teach myself everything about the internet everything about Facebook and I had to read from scratch so everything was taking me hours longer than it should have done I got the Poland job for the Emerging Nations World Cup <laughs> so and we had to find a team I had nine players and three of them had been re- retired for a total of about 12 years so Busiest time in my life, mate, I think. Um, yeah, so yeah. And then Emerging Nations World Cup. We won the Emerging Nations Trophy. Went undefeated. Yeah, so it was all a bit of a uh, in time. And it all came from a time when I was a little bit down. I'd finished at Ipswich. A bit in the club game up here. Um, didn't quite go to plan. No hard feelings either way. And I remember being just so down. I thought, I've not got a coaching job. What am I going to do? <laughs> that's how it. That's how it was. Like when it's part of your blood, it'd be like somebody took your podcast away from you. Now, what Lost. would you do with all your spare? Tell me about it. I've Got no idea. Probably talk to my missus occasionally. <laughs> Nightmare, mate. Are you saying? That- yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. What's yeah. that? You're probably about to get me in some trouble. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, is, does this keep your relationship in a better place because you're always in a different room to it? <laughs> Keeps my relationship in a better place, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Works for one side of the party. Um, mate, to, to go all that way to land, you know, Polish rugby league, it's it's pretty rogue. My granddad was Polish, so... And I'd made some attempts a few years earlier to get Polish rugby league up and running, but... What you often find in rugby league is that a lot of people say things, but it never happens. And it just so we always seem to be falling on on dawns all the time. And um, all of a sudden, we were six weeks out from a tournament. We had to find a team, and I was the coach. Like it was, um, yeah. And then ABC got hold of it. They loved the story. They did a story on it. Then Channel Seven. I was on Sunrise, and it all took off. It was it was a roller coaster. And I, to find a team from somewhere and I credit a guy called Shane Young who was like the football manager he did so much recruiting mate trying to find players that qualified and you would not believe there's one of those countries that has been annexed so many times right so, <clears throat> we can have the point now so this this wherever put, put your finger on the table in 1920 that was Poland and when it got annexed that town where your finger is all of a sudden wasn't in Poland anymore. It was in Germany. Mm. And then 30 years later, it was back in Poland or whatever, right? There's so many cases of that. Of course, these grand- grandparents of these players, a lot of them were either born in concentration camps in Germany, even though they were Polish. Wow. So the international game at first refused to class them as Polish. Or they were born in an area that, one year was Polish and the next year was German or Ukrainian or whatever else. You would not believe the hoops that we had to jump through for some. Not me personally, Shane Young and Alex Kowalski, but we were talking about it all the time. And we ended up getting about 22 players. And that's what we ran with. Um, We never lost a game. Six out of six. Test coach. (laughs) (laughs) Far out. (laughs) Mate, that's incredible. That's, wow. But I get bought... But I had my website, right? So if you look at my website, page on there called Poland RL. It basically made the boys do all that training wherever they were in the world, wherever they were in Australia. I did a session in, I did two sessions with just the Sydney players. I did two sessions in Brisbane with five Brisbane players. And I met the whole squad, only got together for one hour before the first warm up game against Hungary. So the, the day after, made the players go out and get drunk that night to celebrate the victory. They had my sets and everything because they'd studied them online. So they had a rough idea of what I wanted to happen. I analysed the video of the game overnight with my assistants and we did a big video review the day after. And I basically taught them, so right, this looks all right, but you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And we had a big meeting where I asked all the players to sit in a circle and tell each other what it meant to be playing for Poland. Well, when you're hearing stories of grandfathers that had been shot by the Nazis. And um, when you're hearing stories of grandfathers that couldn't speak or read English and they were trying to flee Poland during the war and they saw a sign that began with A, they thought it was America, and they got on the boat and it was actually Australia. You hear stories of parents who tried to go to Canada. They had a height, uh, minimum height limit and this, uh, this certain grandparent didn't meet the height limit. 
So they said, right, go on that boat. You're going to Australia. Roller coaster. Like that, that is the level of what is going on. It, it was a crazy time, mate. Crazy time. And the players all spoke to each other. And that was the that was the glue that bonded them together. It was amazing after that. Amazing after that. They just they wanted to die for each other, mate. It was it was brilliant. If you can uh, if you can coach the hungover Poland side that just met each other an hour and a half ago, I think you can coach anyone just quietly. Again, I mean, one thing I've learned over 21 years of coaching is that you can say too much, you can try and coach too much. The genius lies within our players. And obviously, this is more when you get a team like Poland together. I'm not trying to under under you know undersell what we did with them. We did a lot of homework on opposition. We we did loads of homework on opposition with the we played the grand final against the Philippines, and if you watch that game back, you'll see we always kick the ball right. That's because me and my assistants worked out that in the first four rounds, Philippines made less meters if they came out from the left, on average about twenty odd less meters. Mm. So we just kicked left. Also, we knew all their plays, we knew which way they were going to go, so we were calling it out. So Philippines actually changed in the middle of the game because we were second guessing what they were doing. So, you know, we did loads of homework like that, but the key was just keeping it simple for the players because I had some players who played NRL, like Harry Saker, Chippy Karoshtuk, who'd played Queensland Cup. Then I had other players who I think they'd just played the game on the PlayStation Rugby League Live. Like, the mix of talent was unbelievable. So you've got you've to try and come across something that, that helps everyone, you know? Mate, when you said before when Harry Saker's... Is it Saker? So how do you pronounce his last name? I don't know. I don't even think he knows, mate. I think well, <laughs> well, mate, I remember him coming through and he was meant to be the next big thing. And when you said earlier oh, I'd have something to do with him later, mate, the last place in the world I expecting him to pop up was the uh, Poland side that you coached. Unbelievable. His grandparents turned up, ended up being sent to a camp in um, Bathurst, an immigration camp. And um, But, again, I mean, if I'm looking at the Harry Saker story, Saker, Saker... Can I just call him Haz? <laughs> if I look at the <laughs> if I look at the Harry story, that's just the pressure that gets put on halves. Yeah, like they have to be the star of the show, and you know he. I think he admits his failings too. The other thing, the other thing with Harry is that he is a moody bar steward on the field. He gets really grumpy. I just used to laugh at him, <laughs> right? <laughs> I can't just shut up, Harry, and he, he just get angry when he plays. And I used to send my trainer out to things like just telling the coaches laughing at him, tell him to shut up. And I, you know what I mean? You can imagine some coaches over time just couldn't handle that. I have to think Harry's a really good talent, mate. He, he'd be up there with the best halves I've ever coached. He, he's in the he's in the top two. I'll tell you that much. I'll tell you that much. Mate, speaking of the best that you've coached, is it time we get to your dream team? I'll be dropping uh, Lee's dream team 1-17 to 17 over the next few days, probably next week sometime. Now, we're only waiting because Lee wants to uh, Lee wants to announce it on his Instagram page first. So if you would like a sneak preview, he's uploading one player each day with a clip of them playing some footy. So Rugby League Coach, at Rugby League Coach on Instagram. Obviously, we mentioned James Tedesco before. He is the fullback, but there is a vast array of 
of current rugby league talents and a couple of guys that I think are going to come through over the next few years and make a big impression on the NRL. So if you want to have a look at that dream team before I drop it sometime next week, go to Instagram at Rugby League Coach and you can see all of Lee's picks there. Have a good one, guys. Kick to corners and always play smart footy. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.